Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. In this world, if there's anything I can help people work towards is I hope we can have a sense of world peace. But I think world peace is that external shiny thing. World in, inner peace is the real, the real goal. And that's love. And it comes from an internal love. And the more I've learned to love myself, but more importantly, through the vehicle of learning how to love other people and see like the beauty and the love within them, even if they've quote unquote wronged me, it's me being able to see beyond that. This podcast is brought to you by LiveMomentous.com. Leading the way in human performance is LiveMomentous. For listening today, you get a discount at checkout. Enter the code DRB20. That's DRB, the number 20, for 20% off your order. LiveMomentous. Optimize, perform, recover. So our guest today on the Mental Toughness Podcast He's a performance coach. He's host of the Naked Sunday podcast. Big fan of that podcast. I love listening to it. A lot of insight. He works with heart-centered leaders that help them with their confidence, unlock their true potential. His mentorship group is a league of extraordinary beings. They work on time, communication skills, work-life balance, health, stress management. I'm excited about this conversation today because he's definitely one of those people that has just a genuine heart. And I look forward to you hearing his story. Our guest today is Caleb Nelson. Caleb, my man, thanks so much, buddy, for for taking the time and joining us. Rob, thank you so much for having me. Like I said before, couldn't wait to get on here. I'm just excited to hang. It's been a while since we've caught up, so it's uh, it's a real joy to be here. Can't can't wait, man. I love it. So let's start with this, man. Like uh, uh, Tyson of the day, uh, your dog, your dog Tyson. How did you get into that process of having a Tyson of the day, that, that picture just on your Instagram? Great question. Tyson of the day in its simplest form is like, it just brings me joy. My dog, just no matter what kind of mood I'm in, puts a smile on my face and um, something I do with my clients, I I call it the nexus of happiness. It's basically these three things. If I do these three these three things every day for me, I'm happy. It's like, I need to do something that like, is it is for my own self care that like makes me feel good connected to myself. I need to do something that is in service of others. And then I need to spend time with loved ones. Well, from a mental health standpoint, the dog just makes me laugh no matter how silly it is. And something as simple as just sharing that with other people. I get more, the fact that you even brought that up first is great. I get more attention from my dog than, than any leadership thing I ever posted, you know, all the substance stuff, but like it shows like how such a simple thing of like, hey, that dog that loves you infinitely right there is so powerful. So for me, it was, it's my own interesting way of holding myself accountable and reminding myself, like there's a lot of joy and a lot of love everywhere I look in my life even when he's doing something ridiculous, even when he just like peed on the floor somewhere, you know, just try to annoy me. He might hop in on the podcast today. I don't know. He's just trying to weasel his way in, but uh, yeah. that was, that was the the general impetus behind it. It was like, how do I take this moment and then hold myself accountable and show others? Like, let me bring you into my life and allow you to share that moment with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it, man. Yeah. I think like, Dogs are obviously special. We have a chocolate lab. I mean, you see, I run with mine all the time and, you know, we have that relationship, but I always think it was funny because of COVID, I bet from the dog's perspective, they were like, well, this is how it should be, right? Where you been going all this time? You're leaving me here. You know what I mean? So it was like when COVID ended for him or whenever that was, it must've been like, oh, well, we're doing this again, huh? Well, my wife, she gets the brunt of that because I just stayed home at that point. I had already been bringing him into the work, into the workplace. I had had, had my gym at that point. I started bringing him in. Um, and so he's always been around people. Well, it's really, you can see the separation anxiety with her. He's like, yo, 
like you're supposed to be here giving me attention all day long <laughs> i get to, i get the dosing of the of the all day attention piece though so thankfully right. he hasn't felt too much loneliness in his life yeah you know it was interesting because we we've heard this thing about dogs like wherever that number seven to one, right? Seven dog years to every human year. And then I heard this, and I thought it was really interesting. It was like, well, okay, well that's seven to one ratio. I mean, that must hold true then throughout, you know, their entire life. So the reason why they're so happy every morning is essentially they haven't seen you in a week. You know what I mean? It's been a week since we've seen you. So even when like you leave for a couple hours, like, oh man, I haven't seen you in a day. And uh, just just how excited they are! I wish, I I wish part of me could could have that, you know, just be excited to see everybody every single day. Uh, be I mean, just an amazing superpower. I think there's a lot of love and a lot of lessons to be taken from that. In fact, I wrote a blog series around that man's best friend's lesson, or something along those lines, and it was all about that. Like, I think we forget, like, just being present dogs don't know any better they're like yeah as you just said like that's been a week i'm gonna cherish these moments we we don't know how much longer we have and it's real easy to get distracted by the day's problems and all that stuff to take for granted like here's a loved one standing in front of me even if it's maybe not the the pinnacle of our honeymoon phase or whatever it is it's like oh like you're you're choosing to share space with me and i think dogs um, stand as a pretty powerful mirror for us if we if we allow them to be. Yeah. <laughs> um. Your your hinge moment. I want to start with that because then I think a lot of your coaching obviously stems from that. But talk to us about, you know, your hinge moment and 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 how you kind of share that. You know, growing up and I, mean, I think it's interesting because I haven't heard this story before. So I mean, who is yours more? Cool. So yeah, I appreciate it when you asked me that earlier. I was like, and I thought we had talked about this, you and I. So my hinge moment in life, I grew up in a cult. And when I was 17, I decided that I was going to go a different path. This wasn't Catholicism, right? It was not Catholicism. Yeah. Well, I, my, ca my Catholics would get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> I say this, the funny part around this is uh, the more I've talked about this, I have people come out of the woodwork and they're like, well, you know, I kind of grew up in something like that. A lot of people will mention Catholicism as a thing. Um, I'm writing my book right now, and one of the chapters, literally the chapter I'm writing right now is, I grew up in a cult, but so did you. Um, a lot of people get stuck in these narrow lanes and buy into whatever other dogmas and never seem to question that. So coming back to my my hinge moment, I was 17, and as with all the great stories, there was a girl. And uh, for Wait, people, so how long? How long were you in this cult, though? Till I was 17. So, so your whole I, life, you were born into it. Yep. So yep. I I grew up in what's called the Unification Church. So many people would know it like more kind of like a I don't know if they call it a derogatory term or not, but they seem to embrace it in general. Like the church people was like they called them the Moonies, the guys who ran yeah, it. Re Reverend Sung Moon. They were well known for. Um, in the 70s and 80s, they were like my parents are in the Guinness Book of World Record for largest mass wedding alongside a few thousand other people. They're married in Madison Square Garden um, and they had an arranged marriage. I was destined to have an arranged marriage. Um, there was no such thing as premarital dating, nothing like that. Like it was, think about like most of your, all your rigid religious dogmas, just package it all in one in there. Um, and for most of my life, it was pretty easy to kind of like follow the beaten path, be a good little boy, you know, good athlete, good at like good in school, all that stuff. Like I could stay on my path, but for sure, that was a restrictive piece of me of like, as I've looked back in my life, what essentially came around to like, was that I was giving up this control or this power and to experience what I think is ultimately the highest form of love, not necessarily like from like a governmental standpoint of marriage, but like giving yourself over to somebody and choosing a life partner that was completely on somebody else's terms. Hey, for some people that works. Got it. And for my parents, it's worked well. Um, but all the things leading up to those, those paths and those decisions to say like, I'm going to buy into this process 
those things also need to be taken into account. But uh, so, you know, high school has its ways of doing things. I went to public school and all that. And there was a girl. And uh, I remember like getting to this point at the end of that year. And I was like really questioning a lot of where it was going. And um, for the, I've always been a very like questioning kind of person, but I was like building up and here was just kind of like my teenage piss and vinegar kind of self. Were you a senior? A junior, junior in high school. And I remember, and I actually had my mom uh, on the podcast like early on when we talked about this moment, I pulled my parents aside nothing had happened yet. And I was like, you know, I wanted to be respectful. Like, Hey, I get it. I got three younger siblings. I'm not going to just, you know, disrespect your entire faith practice and all that. I just don't happen to agree with it. And I, I'd been confronting a lot of that stuff for a long time. And for the record, my father also doesn't particularly buy into that practice anymore, though they, my parents have a healthy and happy marriage. Both have described it as that. Um, but I sat them down and I was like, listen, I don't agree with this. And I remember the butterflies. I remember all the, the, oh my God, what's going to happen here? Like, I'm finally speaking my piece. I don't really open my mouth in disagreement or anything of that nature. I know how to talk about sports and school and know my role and all those other things. And at this point in my life, I was like, no, I'm going to really speak up for what I believe in. And this is not my path we kind of had a nice little blow up and we went our separate ways for a little bit. I mean, I still lived in my parents' house. So like I say, I left a thing, like I still was fed and housed. Like I was not abused as a child, but intrinsically, I think this is where a lot of people can start to play other stuff that comes along with this. But like what I always think about now for myself is that to me was my first entrepreneurial moment of like, I'm willing to take on whatever consequences come with this this is my life and I need to, I need to have a say in this. I can't just not take responsibility. If I'm truly not feeling aligned with the, the person that I am, of course, 17, what do I know about anything? But internally I knew that this didn't line up with me. And um, <laughs> as ironically as it is, my parents both were fairly rebellious in general as well. So <laughs> in their own right in their own lives so what do you expect like your kid pretty much primed to go do the same same thing as well and i rebelled and went my own path but um yeah it made for an interesting like i realized that i'm at some point going to have to just do my own stuff and i'm gonna have to take full responsibility for those things in my life and um it took a long time yeah so you guys started dating I went, yeah, well, I, I didn't even have an opportunity to date this girl. I didn't even know if I had an opportunity, but there was a girl that I liked. And I was like, cool, mom, dad, like, I don't have a, sh- I don't know if there's a shot, but if I have an opportunity, I'm going to take it. They're like, cool, there'll be consequences. And there was. So we went down that path. I was 17. She was 18. You know, I've that young love me, whatever, kind of poured my heart into everything. Like, I'm like, I feel like I'm giving up my entire life for this high school girl like she didn't need to she didn't deserve all that kind of pressure of what that was nor did she know because I couldn't talk about my feelings or (laughs) anything I didn't know how to process any of this stuff at this time of my life but um it certainly was like cool like I took a stand for myself and uh, Mm -hmm. she broke with me not that long afterwards which felt like well I gave up all these things and like how do you you know you don't love me Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com, and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. So, I mean, I, again, I've got these visions like in my head. So, what happens when you start to rebel and start to kind of push back? Like, is there a re-education program that you have to go through or like no my life it's just been like i just went off and just did my life like i just okay what what were some of those consequences then it was like money that i had like my parents cut me off from some of that stuff like just kind of like more like like when i say like my experience with this was more first world problems if i'm Mm -hmm. really real about it um 
I can't speak to all of my siblings or my friends' experiences within the church. I can just say like what my stuff was like. I already had a pretty arm's distance relationship with my family in general, but like this was so for me it's more like psychological internally. Like that was my my thing, and I kind of just already felt like I was kind of different from the world anyway. Um, so that was it. Like just moved farther away from my parents as much as possible. You know, t- in many ways, just a typical teenage rebellion. That that perspective. Um, I didn't really get in trouble or anything like that. So, you know, I didn't push the envelope too crazy from that. But then I went off to college and maybe that was my reintegration process of like, I'm going to go try to sort this out and see what the the normal world thinks of of me, though I still didn't even talk about it. Probably till... I didn't really start talking about the church stuff until probably, I don't know, five, seven years ago, something like that, maybe a little really? longer. Not as openly but it, it just didn't come up as often um namely because i don't think i knew how to have a conversation around it there was a lot of shame and guilt like the people judge me when people think i'm weird i'm a weird dude like don't get me wrong like i'm, <laughs> I'm definitely a strange dude but um i've come to enjoy that about myself it allows me to think a little bit differently about the world but um for sure like the rejection of family what I can say was hard because it's like hey I want to feel like there's that love I think everybody just wants to feel loved and accepted by their own family unit um but I felt different and I also didn't know how to communicate to my siblings so I didn't really know how to like shepherd those relationships very well Mm -hmm. um I would say I probably spent the majority of my late teens to late 20s pretty like from my whole family it took a business fallout for me going dead broke being taken in by the grace of god by this amazing family they happen to be clients of mine to realize like i really do actually want to have a meaningful relationship with my family that started to reshape that yeah um when i look back a lot of my stuff is just like there was no curiosity. There was no curiosity. There was no questioning. There was no space to really share my thoughts and flex my own feelings about things. So that was never, that curiosity was never stoked. Um, and I didn't know how to have like healthy disagreement in my life. So a lot of my life has been all or nothing. Like, here we go. If you're not in, like, I will blow a relationship up. And I had to learn those things if you had to learn that lesson a few painful times to be like oh maybe there's a better way to to interact with people um but i had to learn that rebellious streak was not necessarily the healthiest thing for me walk walk us through what was the um uh, what was the business situation like so my first business partnership uh i owned a crossfit and uh, he was my first mentor um he was my first full-time job out of college and we invested together ironically in many ways cross was thought of as a cult um so (laughs) a lot of times i've joked with my parents hey i left one to go start my own and i joke now like hey i'm starting my own again um (laughs) but with that i was pretty lost i was like all into this fitness thing i really didn't know what i wanted and i was just kind of like cool you seem like you got it all figured out and I went on this path I didn't know how I'm like this is the mission like we're here to take care of people this is it and I didn't understand like business I didn't understand myself like I was growing and was I 24 something like that at the time 24 25 somewhere in there where we ended up uh separating um so again young not really having the tools, not having a great sense of self-awareness. Um, when I look back, I look at my ascension through that period of my life is that I started to have some money in my pocket. I started to, as we're talking about my dog wanting to have some some FaceTime, I was looking for external validation. So I had like the Barbie girlfriend and now I had the business like, ooh, checked all the boxes of the American dream. And I had all this success. Ty, come here. I got a treat for you. Um, I had all this success, but 
by external standards. And I felt very hollow and empty on the inside. And I think the problem there was when he would ask me like, well, where are we going with this business? Um, I still remember a question. He's like, dude, we're friends. Do you really want in on this? And there was some kind of messier other stuff that went on between the two of us, which we've both patched up ever since then. But um, there was some disagreements about where we were going the business with the business. Um, I wasn't feeling valued. He definitely wasn't feeling valued. Uh, we were a bunch of mid to late twenties, early thirties guys who were running a place a lot like a frat house, not knowing how to mature into the next stage of our life. Sure. And um, we had grown to like in many ways we had just grown grown so fast we didn't even see the problems that were coming with that relationship we didn't know how to deal with the friction of that growth and the problems of that and i think i was also struggling to take the next step in my own leadership like i was comfortable i had solved some basic problems in my life what do i really want now um and we had a we ultimately had a fallout over a tie like the, i joke that it's the tie that broke the camel's back it was i was supposed to have I didn't want to wear a tie to some barbecue. We wanted to get dressed up or something like that. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, but with that, the fallout was pretty dark because we had two businesses. One, the one was together, and then the other one was the original gym. And it was you almost two, like the, you had two. You had two gyms. He had one that he owned, and that's where I started oh, my okay. career at. We opened a sister gym. Gotcha. We did not set up a structure that was very. Like we didn't know. We just really didn't know. We set up a structure that we're like, this is not going to be sustainable. Anybody would look at it and it's like, I was a 20% owner. We blended a lot of, we blurred a lot of lines. Roles and responsibilities were pretty vague. And then once disagreements started to happen of like other people wanted to expand and go open their own places and like the scarcity of like, oh, this hot commodity that we've got here might feel threatened. Um, I think that amplified the fact that our foundation, like the, our relationship was not as solid. And not only that, like I know at least from my perspective, what I could take responsibility for is I wasn't solid. I didn't really know what I wanted, especially since all my value and validation at that point in my life was, it was all external. I was too afraid to sit with myself and see who I was as a man. So the thing collapsed. I went dead broke during that. I still kept working. That's some of the messier stuff that happened during that time that is really not even really worth uh, rehashing. But I had this family that took me in. They were clients and they fed me and housed me for a year while I still worked like at this place that had, I wasn't making any money off of. Um, but the graciousness that I saw from them, like it was the first time in my adult life where I felt like this immense generosity and they they were like just pay this forward i i hadn't seen that since like my family like my mom was a very it still is a very generous person who never really asked for anything in return um i saw this and this like this deep kindness i was like oh this is what home feels like i need to go sort some things out and um there was a cascade of different effects that during that, I happened to meet my wife during that time. I then met my, my next business partner during that time. He's still one of my best, my, is my best friend. Um, it, it stripped me down to like, you're not your six pack abs. You're not the person who is on your, is not your, the arm candy you have. You're not this business, or at least like you're not, your value is not this shell of a building your value is who you are and you need to go discover what that is. Um, I was coming off of steroids at that time. I was just like disheveled. I just, I looked like a train wreck of a 20 year old, um, closer to 26, 27. But um, that was really profound for me because I had all these people that came into my life that saw something in me, like the real, like, here's the man that you really want to be. I'll stand by that. And um sure. I didn't realize I had that in my life. I felt like I was on an island and I had a bunch of relationships not stay with me, but I had these few very strong relationships mm -hmm. with me that I'm like, whoa, this is super important. I got to look at this. 
Tyson, yeah. come here. I mean, you're only one good friend away. Thousand percent. I, that I talk with my friends about this all the time, and I on my mentorship group just talked about it a couple of weeks ago. People want wide. You need to go deep. When you go deep in a relationship, the wide, the impact, the, the money, the things that everybody chases, one good friend typically who's like willing to go through it with you has all those other resources there. They have the capacity. But if you don't build real trust, if all you're looking for is their surface level like relationship, you're not going to get to the real gems. And it, it requires a lot of you giving being vulnerable with those people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's been some of the greatest gifts that my friends and my loved ones have given me is essentially holding the space for me to shed those layers and be like, here's the real man that you are. Here, like, be your real self. Cry, ugly cry, whatever you got to do. Tell me your darkness, all this stuff. And to have that discourse, um, They've, they've been the ones who've shown me the answers every single yeah. time. Yeah. You know, one of the things you speak about and like in your coaching is like great leaders, like make space for recovery. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. That is especially from my, let's call it fitness background. Uh, there's a saying, it's not how hard you train, it's how well you recover. Right when you sleep is when you build the muscle, when you like, that's when you digest, that's when you're healing all the pains. Um, and the first time I thought of it from, let's call it a zoomed out more esoteric concept within leadership was, uh, was Ryan, Ryan Holiday's book, um, Stillness is the Key. Mm -hmm. And there's a story, there's a passage in there about uh, Winston Churchill and if I'm butchering the story, everybody forgive me. But I, if I remember it correctly, I believe Winston Churchill had been ousted from parliament in some way, shape, or form, and then had like this 10-year window where he just walked, took baths, spent time with his grandkids, like wrote, meditated, whatever that was, like healed and like had space for him when World War II came around. And they needed like the great leadership that only he had, like he had this he had the, the, the resources, he had the buffer, he had the energy to still be able to step in that I don't think a lot of people think about. Um, with the, I mean, obviously, we're all coming off the pandemic. The pandemic was coming. I think people forget that tragedy, calamity, whether it's death, whether it's a, a, a downturn in the economy, a bad sales cycle, uh, a client leaving you, a fallout with a business partner, like something is coming. Tragedy is coming. And the same way plenty of people like spend everything they earn every month, like people just burn themselves out. They go right to the wire and be like, grind your face off, man. Sure. But now you don't have a buffer for like, you don't know what's coming later that afternoon. And what if it's the thing that you really needed to be present for? Um, I think a lot of leaders operate more from a savior mentality, feeling like they have to do all the roles. They have to fill all the gaps for everybody. Um, but a lot of the power is in like holding space and seeing what the real emergency is. That takes a lot of restraint, um, especially for somebody who struggles with perhaps that savior complex, the person who can't sit still, the one who can't like, Sitting still for a minute in silence is like nails on a chalkboard. That person typically I have found is plagued by some darker demons of like, wait, I'm capable of more. Wait, what, what else should I do? Like that, that, that type of anxious energy, while that was really powerful and got somebody to the place that they're at, when you get to a certain place of like, how do I sustain this? How do I keep, how do I live a meaningful life? and not destroy my marriage, and not destroy my relationship with my kids. Hell, not even destroy the relationship with everybody at work or my health. People sacrifice those other things. It's that restraint to say, like, I'm going to stop at like 80%, and I'm going to leave a little meat on the bones because if there is an emergency later, a true emergency, this is when I step in because it's coming. Like, that's going right. to be there. But that takes forethought. Yeah. Sorry. 
No, it's a great point, man. Because I mean, I look at so what's something then throughout the day, um, how, like, what are some of the things we need to do kind of throughout the day to recover? Because mm. I, I mean, the reason why I talk about this because I mean, I talk about a lot like patience is recovery of the mind, right? Like, can't wait to be patient. That's awesome. Yeah, one of the most practical things I do with that is I leave buffers in transitions. So like, if I'm not early to something it is, it is like itching under my skin. I will leave 10, 15 minutes to just get there. I'll leave extra time because I don't know what's going to come up. I like to be and arrive in a spot. Like what if something was going on with you? What if my dog is going crazy? What if somebody's sick? Simple buffers that I don't think a lot of people think about. Uh, the it's the transitions. Like right. say you leave the grocery store, the transition, it's, it's not, you don't get in the accident at the grocery store or right at home. It's in between. Right. And more often than not, the accident happens with a, within a mile of your home because you stop paying attention. You stop having the focus. You didn't know how to transition between spaces. So a lot of that comes down to just building an extra few minutes for you to go from a spot to a spot. And especially if somebody's in a helping industry, if you're in a leadership position, a lot of it is energy management and it's relational management. If you came off a bad sales call or you came off of a tough meeting with a client or if you know, some, your kid was sick, taking the energy and transferring that into your next thing, the person who doesn't deserve you barfing your negative, negativity from that previous thing, like that negative relationship or that negative impact on that might cost you the sale. It might cost you buy-in from a, another partner, a leader within your organization. That's what I think a lot of people don't think about. So just putting a buffer to say, I'm going to sit still for five minutes. I'm going to bring myself back to zero. We can start again. That, that's the time management that I think it, it, it doesn't mean you need to carve out three hours every single time you have, you have anything. It's right. how do I put maybe a five minute and then a 10 minute but in the beginning, like think of it like any other, any other skill building. Like you might need to give yourself more because you don't have the skill sets to recalibrate as quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You think you do, but you need to become more a master of like being okay with that space. Yeah. And um, in general, like I start asking myself, like how many meetings do I want to have in a day? Not how many can I get? It's at best. What's my energy best today? Is it three? Right. Is it two? Right. What days of the week do I show up best? Those are the questions that I think if we look at that as your energy management, you work backwards towards your ideal as opposed to more, where the, the more mindsets, again, what got you here, but the transition to, to better, that's whatever you want to define it as. Yeah. Um, that's where you, you know, got to start. Yeah, I, I love it, Coach, because, I mean, one of the things – we definitely talk about, it. I remember as a strength coach, NFL strength coach, and he would always like, and again, the NFL winning and losing. I mean, you win, you feel good for an afternoon, you lose, you feel bad for a week, right? Till the next day. And, and you know, and it was interesting, man, because there was one coach that talked about if you win a game in the NFL, that's a good thing. Like one game, he said, if you win one game as a coach in the NFL, he said, that's a good thing. That's how level it is. Right. So the strength coach was talking about what he did on the way home and driving on the way home. If they lost, he kept reminding himself and repeating to himself, we won, we won, I won the game, we won the game. So when he got home, that transition just from the car parking, going in, transition was maximized, right? Because he was already in that space of, look, these kids don't care if they won or lost, right? It was like – um, so to be able to take that positive energy in, I think the transitions that we have in life, man, it's more about rhythm than it's speed, right? I mean, we're designed to get from point A to point B as fast as we can, but slow is smooth and smooth is fast. It's so hard to remember that though. That's why I love with, with your book, like the patience, the patience is, it's a will, I think it's a willingness to slow down. When everything in your being, when especially if you're a high performer, everything that you did to get to where you are says no, like go more. 
it's like the wise man understands the restraint and those small practices to build in that. And some people don't agree with that. Like there's the grind your face off culture and I, I understand so, it. But like this, this is the part I kind of, this is the part I kind of got to a little while ago and it's like, okay, well, let's look at a profession that's a grind mentality, right? Hustle mentality. I mean, who put the hustle culture into play? Let's just look at farmers, okay? You're not going to say, man, those farmers, they don't work hard, right? Of course they work hard. There's nobody that works harder. I mean, they're up at dark and they work all day. But then if you, okay, well, let's really look at farmers, right? Well, farmers have the rhythm of work down. Yeah, they're going to work from 4.30 to 7, but then they're taking that break. That's when they're going to have the coffee. That's when they're having, you know, kind of meet with the other with their other friends, you know, that's when they're having their breakfast, then they go back and now they know what the next shift is right from eight 30 to like noon. Then they're having, um, you know, dinner at that time, not, not supper, but dinner and not lunch, but it's dinner. And then they know what their afternoon rhythm is. So they like farmers know though, that that is a built in rhythm to their work that we miss now because we get hit with the urgent, right? We get hit with well, an email here and a call here, and I've got to do this now. Where farmers inherently know the day we plant the seed is not the day that's going to be harvested, and so they're automatically in that that rhythm space. We'll take it one step further. I love that you brought up the farmer analogy. There is a harvesting season and there's a planting season. They're going literally with the seasons of life as well, and I think that what's great for anybody in this space is like, what are your seasons of life? Maybe in one aspect of your life, you're in the grow season. In another aspect of your life, you're in the harvesting season. And knowing yourself is important because so many people, as you said, like the emails were bombarded with the social media, with all the stuff. It's easy to compare yourself to somebody else, but you have no idea what season they're in. You don't know what other resources they have at their disposal. You don't know, understand what other buffers they have. You don't even know if they're just using automated posting to put stuff up there, yet they're not busy at all. Like that was a, I think it's such a profound example of harvesting. And then you just have to start thinking like for farmers, it's like, how do you keep the farm alive for generations? Mm -hmm. There's a handoff around that. You have to like, so many people are thinking about it's a sprint. And I know you think about with the ultras and stuff like that. It's like, once you go to an endurance mentality, your perspective shifts. You have to think about pace. That takes restraint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of your, um, well, I think on all your posts, actually, you say love everybody. So it's love period, every period, and then buddy. Talk to us about that. I have a former client to thank for that. So my nickname is Leb. If you didn't pick up also on the, the cheeky kind of thing around the mentorship group, League of Extraordinary Beings, also as a play on my nickname. But I had a friend I was on his podcast not that long ago. Well, it's probably closer to a year now, so wow, you went by quick. But uh, I don't, one of my, my inspirations around that is like, I don't see anybody as my enemy anymore in learning how to love everybody in front of me, I have learned how to love myself more. Um, I fundamentally believe we're all each other's mirrors. Like right now, you are a mirror of something in my life. You're teaching me something right now. And in this world, if there's anything I can help people work towards is I hope we can have a sense of world peace. But I think world peace is that external shiny thing world inner peace is the real the real goal and that's love and it comes from an internal love and the more i've learned to love myself but more importantly through the vehicle of learning how to love other people and see like the beauty and the love within them even if they've quote unquote wronged me it's me being able to see beyond that and say you're holding me accountable with something in myself where am i not in alignment in my life where am i maybe not holding boundaries where am i not where am, I being, where am I being a hypocrite to me to remind that? Uh, and not only that, it's the double entendre of like the body. Like I believe that the body is a temple as well. And we need, we have so far dissociated ourselves from having a meaningful connection with our body. Health has been bastardized 
in so many ways, it's a pretty sacred element. And it gives, it is the vehicle by which we do all the great works in our life. So to come back to a sense of love and respect and value within our body, not just the internal, like the soulful piece, but also the external piece, like it's valuable. It is, it's a pretty beautiful thing. Um, those are the, the eight different layers around why I say I love everybody because it's yeah. a play on my nickname. It's a play on all those things, but it's a reminder for me as well. Probably as you're noticing now, a lot of things out there in the, that I put out in the world are reminders for me of like, oh, I, sure. if I believe this, I need to see it. It needs to come up in my life and I need to say it more so that I can, uh, I can stay in alignment. Cause I, I don't, I believe there's nothing worse than hypocrisy. Like, right. I can't look myself in the mirror. Like if I'm, if I'm yeah, not man, doing we're, that, we're no, we're no good to anybody else at that point. You know, it's, that's, that's the toughest thing is we are who we are when we're alone. And, um, the difficult part is when messing up and not living out the values, you know, we lose that effectiveness with other people, you know? Um, and I'll, I'll notice that a lot of times, like if I'm just getting like real, I don't say angry, but I would say uh, short, irritated, you know what I mean? Something's going on. It's a, it's a warning light that I really need to look at. I don't want to look at it. I just want to keep the foot on the accelerator. But if I don't pay attention to it, man, it, you know, it, it blows up, unfortunately. Um, you, you spoke about also in one of your posts, the, the one that I liked the most was it anti-value. Talk yeah. to us about that. Anti-value method. So I don't know if you're anything like me, I've done a thousand different core value exercises. I've done with other people. I'd cut decks of cards with words on them and worksheets and all this other stuff. I always understood the principle. It's like, here, these are the things that you're going to operate your life around. And I would do them and I'd feel nice and I'd feel great for a couple of days. But can, they can, I tell you, can I tell you real quick, man, what, yeah, what the, value, the value work that I've done yeah. is I just, the only value work I ever do is I just look at those scrambled words and whatever three words you pick out, like that's, that's your core values of the year. That's my, <laughs> that's my work, man, when it comes to that. Even better. You know yeah. what? In some ways, I might even say that's even more impactful because I think we're drawn to the words we're looking for anyway. Yeah. Um, few years ago, I, I was exposed to my first leadership work in my 20s. So that's a big reason I have a lot of, I'm so grateful for my first mentor that even the one we had a follow up for a while there is he got me exposed to a lot of that. And um, it always just made sense to me of like, yeah, just do your core values and like organizations will like it, the rest kind of takes care of itself. I look at your core values is if you define yourself by that being yourself is just living in alignment with that. It makes it very simple. Like we live in a day and age where everybody's trying to slap a label on everything. And then you're like, well, of course you're confused because you have 85 different labels that you use to associate yourself with. How do you transition? You're not flexible. You're not, you don't have that. So I, I had this moment a few years ago and it was the first time I ever did this. I was just like, what pisses me off? Like, what do I hate? And it, circle around started with like silly things of like people not valuing my time people being late people like just little things like not holding doors not saying please and thank you manners and one of my uh longest clients he would always say it's like if you don't have respect you've got nothing something along those lines he's a west point grad awesome guy love his family like they've just been amazing to me and it always stuck with me i was like oh no wonder that resonates because I all those things I just said I hate, like to me, they're signs of disrespect. Right. And then I flipped it. I was like, oh, so my core value is respect. And the more I started to sit with it, I was like, that's how I started to develop this method. I call it the anti-value method. When you, it's easy to think about what pisses you off. Like anybody can start like this and it hits you right in the gut. It's, we have, we are hardwired to survive. So threats against our values are perhaps an existential threat. The hard part then becomes, okay, cool. We've defined what we hate. What's the exact opposite of that? There's your core value. The real hard work now is 
people you defined it. How are you living up to that? Because most people are using everybody else as a vehicle to be like, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. But they're not seeing how they're not holding, like they're doing the same thing. So what was one way then that you put that into play, like respect? Because I'm the same exact way, man. Like it would infuriate me. How dare you not hold the door for somebody? Because that's, you just hold the door for people. It's very simple. Just hold the door. What kind of mood you're in? Well, it was started with simple things like that. Um, I'm hyper diligent about showing up on time. Like that is like, you've chosen to share time with me. I like to be early. For Mm -hmm. me, it's all like the subtleties. For me, it's holding myself accountable. If I mess up, what do I need to do to make this right? I respect that you're giving me this chance. Like those are the types of things. And then it started to go down the line. Like then it was pessimism. I hate, like can't be in a room with somebody. It's like, well, why are you even showing up? So my, my, uh, my value, then the anti-value was pessimism. Value became optimism. Cool. Well, if I'm going to lead people, I better be in a, I better believe we can solve this. Like, and not only that, when I show up to serve somebody, I should probably be pretty optimistic that they're capable of change. Cause if I've already shut myself off to their ability to change, we're going to get more of what we got right here. I'm not even giving them a shot. Um, for me, growth mindset's part of that, staying very open and allowing for space to grow, taking action. There's nothing that drives me more nuts. People talk about stuff all day and they don't like, what are you going to do about it? And then the final part is being committed. So in all of those things, it's just, I think about it down to the minutia of, like I said, holding the door, being five minutes early, uh, saying please and thank you. Um, and higher level stuff, it's a lot of when I'm posed with a hard moment, I have to go, usually it's like, uh, when I think of like big decision stuff, it's usually like, are you choosing between money or purpose? And that's hard because money is usually the easy answer. Like this is going to be convenient. The hard thing is purpose. Like I said, I was committed to this thing. That's that loyalty piece. Like what am I actually committed to? That's where like the high level stuff that's how holding myself accountable to my values. That's how I show up with that. But what's been v- nice for me is that this is such a fast way for somebody to define their core values. Mm-hmm. And it hit, like it hits you in the guts. You will feel it. And you can't unknow it and you can't unsee it. And what I've found is the only reason why people avoid actually doing it at this point is because they're afraid of looking in the mirror and be like, whoops. It's not everybody else's fault. It's mine. Right. I'm so, not. And I love that, man. I think it's, that's, man, that's a fantastic tool. What, what does it say about me when what draws my ire is people that say first annual? Like there's no such thing as a first annual, right? There wasn't the first world war until there's the second one. So it's like, they say first annual when it's inaugural, that's what it is. Like, so what's, is that what's my core value there my gut went to like people are just trying to do wordplay as opposed to just saying just being straight with people i always feel like that's almost like a respect thing it's like why are you trying to pull one over on me that's where my gut goes like just just be just be direct with me especially for a high performer high performers like yourself like you don't want the fluff just give me the real like you don't need to I hear that and I kind of hear it as like, you're trying to pull some sales tactic to just try to get more money. That, again, first so, inclinations. <laughs> yeah. I'm, my, my thing is like, it's, it's not a first annual, it's inaugural. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person that I will read. Oh, this study says this, this study says this, that's fine. Let me see the study. I I, I got to read the study myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's so many intricacies that go into well, what is really a good study or not, right? I mean, you have internal validity, you have external validity, and and they kind of counterbalance one another, but I want to see the study. So my value, I guess, when it comes to that is what it, what's the value? The education? The I think it still comes back to integrity and respect. Like yeah. to me, respect covers a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Here's the maybe the crazier side of me. The more I've done these things with people, the more I realize like deep down, we actually hold pretty much the same core values. Mm. We're just shading in our own direction, which I think if we bring it back to the love everybody piece is like, you stop seeing 
us as separate. You see yourself in another, you're like, oh. And then you go, well, how would I treat that person? If this is me, would I hurt myself? I think that's a a really powerful space to be in and it encourages a lot more collaboration. Yeah. Um, I what I hear in, in most of what you're sharing there is like to me, it's a lot about integrity. Most people just be like, just be honest with me. Just mm-hmm. be straight up. You don't need to pull the wool over my eyes. Let's just be real. Like say it plainly. That's, that's all people really know. Um, and I and I think like that's especially when you especially when you're somebody who's probably does a lot of deep dives into the, the research and things like that to make it like, are people being real? It's easy to hide stuff under numbers and say really complicated things mm-hmm. because most people won't do the work. Yeah. And if you can't if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, you baffle them with bullshit. <laughs> oh, oh, I hope you that's you got to make a yeah. post around that. That's a fire <laughs> post right there. <laughs> you baffle them with bullshit. Yeah, it happens a lot, man. It doesn't take much to kind of be like, I can't follow that. It must be right. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's the classic, uh, you know, if you can't explain it to a fifth grader or five-year-old mm-hmm. or something like that, like you don't really know it that well. That's what I think is like, I think the truth and simplicity is that, how did my buddy say it? He's like, simplicity removes things to hide behind. Like you can be seen. And I think there's a lot of beauty in that. I, I think the deeper tragedy all is like, are you afraid of not being enough? That's where I hear all the insecurities come out. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I'm naked well, I, can a- I can answer that question. The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, that, then, and, that, and that was part of what would drive me in every single area. It's like, well, I'm, there's no way I'm not going to be good enough. Yeah. Well, like with anything, there's, you know, waste that comes with that. So, I mean, there's, um, it, it, it works until it doesn't work. You know what I mean? But I, what I've learned from you and other people have echoed this a lot, but just your presence is enough. And that alone, I think when we can accept that piece, that alone uh, should be pretty liberating. You know, the fact of you in the presence makes a difference. I love that. And I think there's a fear underneath that, that like, if I'm enough, then what am I going to do with my time? And I think that's where it leads to, I've had that with a lot of my friends and I guess my clients too, is that it doesn't mean you don't strive for things. I think that dissociating yourself from that is very different. So I love that you're bringing up like just being enough. That's if nothing else, that's very hard to just show up and be yourself and just be enough with that. But it also doesn't mean you don't have to, you don't like striving and seeking more depth and growth and creativity. It's not absent from that. And in fact, the things you create from that that inner stability, that enoughness is far more abundant. And there's all, there's a lot more creativity that comes from that. It's not scarcity. Like it's, there's an infinite channel of love and creativity that when you just show up with that, it just flows. It's mm-hmm. just there. That's scary. That's scary because we're just not used to that. I remember Mr. Rogers, right? Like being special. You're special. You're special. You're special. And then you say that enough and it's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, you're special just like everybody else. And when he explained it, then it finally made sense. He said, being special doesn't mean you don't strive. You don't try and do the best you can. He said, what being special is, is that you don't need to do anything in order to be loved. And then that was the piece of, you know, what, what, what place are we operating from, from a place of I'm not good enough or a place that, Hey, I'm enough. And so are you, because I, what I see is that if I'm not enough, um, if that gets stoked enough, if I'm not enough and that, that cycle and that belief keeps repeating itself, well, the only way to be enough is, well, you're not okay either. And then that's where then that, that destruction cycle I see that takes place. I love that. 
it's interesting we're talking about this my buddy he competed for the first time in wrestling in 13 years over the weekend and he was telling me about how he used to get so bent out of shape performance anxiety stuff in his high school early college years about wrestling getting on the mat and he's like i changed this like i'm just doing it from the joy i'm like just having fun and he was so afraid to shift to that because in his mind, he's like, that means I'm taking my foot off the gas. I'm not going to do everything I need to. I'm going to allow myself to be lazy this one day. And it's like, no, I just started enjoying building my skill sets. And he was more focused on just enjoying the process, the patience that comes with that. Because you understand like there is no perfect in mastering the skill set because great, you mastered it with maybe this one opponent but there's a infinite number of people with different energy and different heights and different lengths, whatever. I'm using wrestling as a metaphor here where you can build that skill set differently. And he said, it's like, I'm getting better. And it's just so different. What you're talking about It's from that wholeness of like, I don't have anything to prove. I got a successful business. I got a loving kids. I got a beautiful wife. I have a happy family. Like, what am I trying to prove here? Just proving to myself, like, I'm worth showing up for and enjoying the process. That patience piece there, like, it's, it, I think it's a lot. I think it's a, a cornerstone of just being present and being there. And, and I, I think of that as a very deep, like, flow state. And um, th- I think that's where mastery is really built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed, man. When you have over 120 episodes, Naked Sunday podcast, um, what are a couple of lessons you've learned from interviewing so many different people? Selfishly, it's a great skill set for improving my own coaching. I look at it as a coaching conversation and it's challenged me to shut my mouth a lot because <laughs> clearly I can talk a lot. Um, the number one lesson is always like they have the answers. If I listen, the answer's coming. So that's one. Um, The other part is like, everybody has an interesting story. And if I set the table for that and make sure they feel valued and feel safe and feel appreciated, and I show up and be curious. And there's sometimes people share stuff. They're like, this is the first time ever talking about it. Mm -hmm. They didn't even allow themselves to go there. Um, that's like the greatest gift anybody's ever given me is like themselves. They've chosen to show up. Most people kind of have an idea when you come talk to me, like we're going to go where it goes. And I don't have a structure for this. I, I want to sit in a very ambiguous open space. Um, obviously, I valued our conversation together. Like you just shared I get to hear people's wisdom. Um, And I think the deeper part of that, I hope that a lot of people can take this from the podcast, just from a a listener's perspective is there are so many people that have so much knowledge, but genuinely want to know their place. And I think in this place in history, and who am I kidding? I don't know what all those places in history, but if we all had podcasts a thousand years ago, they'd probably be saying similar stuff. But I hope it gives people hope that there's a lot of people with a lot of love and a strong desire to give that and share that and hold space for that and want to. Um, that if there, if above all, if I put a gun to my head and I had to choose one, it's that. But there's so many people with so much love to give. And hope and help is available to those who are looking for it um you just got to be willing to put your hand up and say hey i want to connect yeah in in your business you stress and we'll put the link obviously in there but people are going to your website and you've got an alignment audit can you kind of talk about that and share that with us absolutely so i think about this there's a lot of people who jump into programs and things like that that's often like a cookie cutter type of thing. One of the most important things for me is like, I don't know what your problem is yet. Like, I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> that's just the truth. Um, 
the biggest things that I think people are struggling with when they come to me is like they feel overwhelmed and they feel like they're struggling with their energy. So the alignment honor, uh, audit is to be able to find out like, hey, where are you at with your time? How are you organizing your time? The reality is they have forgotten because of the consequence of their own abundance. They're too successful to, for their own good. They don't know what to do with reorganizing their time there. Um, and from an energy standpoint, I integrate health as well. Obviously, I get to bring my fitness background into that. But they feel lower energy. They feel burnt out. Maybe they feel a little bloated, feel a little gross. They don't feel connected to their body. And the entire thing is to first, let's help organize your time. Let's see where your time is going, how you're managing your energy, but also how does this align with your values? So I take people through that uh, core value exercise and it's like, it's obvious. Like this is what's not going right there. And after that, it's an action plan. Typically people are coming to me because what they want is they want to go after their purpose, their, their, I could like to call it the legacy project. What are you doing for the rest of your life? The thing that you want to leave behind, but they also want to do it without sacrificing their relationships. That was something that's been really ironic to me in all of this. I feel like I do more relationship coaching than anything above all else, because very smart people, they know what to do. It's not being afraid of how, like sacrificing these deep, meaningful connections they've built how do I talk to my wife? How do I talk to my husband? How do I navigate those things and not destroy that? Because I think we've all, a lot of people are starting to learn is like, great, I could build this massive business, but I don't have a relationship with my kids, but I had a divorce, but like all that stuff. And like, I, I, I did this because I wanted to also enjoy time with my family. So being able to, to build that gap, I think there's like a, of course, in the cloud of, I don't feel like I have any time to sit and think about it and I don't have the energy to focus this, how do you think about that? So you know, long way of me coming back to the alignment audit is like, let's just get some clarity and see where we go from here. Yeah. And then ultimately my goal is to help people integrate their life because so many people are spreading themselves thin, doing a bunch of stuff that's usually just busy work and bringing themselves back to who they are and perhaps even discovering their purpose along the way. Yeah. Kim. One more question here, man. And, you know, I say this on all of them, but what question um, should I be asking that I just haven't asked yet? Wow. That's a good question. I don't even know. Um, it's very rare that I'm at a loss for words. I think that if I can turn it more towards the listeners, like that's ultimately what I really care about for people is like, who do you want to share your time with? Like that's, that's really it at the end of the day. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's the question asked, but I hope that that's the one that people start asking themselves. Am I sharing the time with the people I care about? Uh, maybe the great question to ask from an esoteric standpoint, I ask, I have a guided meditation. I call it who's holding your hand on your deathbed. I think that clears up most problems because that person, they're going to be on your deathbed with you. You probably should spend some time with them and sort that out. Mm -hmm. um, and they're probably also the person who has the answers to the purpose in your lifetime. They're the ones who believe in you and they're the ones who are staying with you to the bitter end. Um, that's that's changed my life that's changed my life whenever i'm feeling lost i go right back to that like this is all that's really going to matter anyway so they're my mirror let me let me go talk to them and remind myself what i need to be showing up for because we're going to have the answers want to listen to your favorite music but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today tune in to kukoradio.com music for your mindset we're a commercial-free online radio station. Play nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at kukoradio.com. I love it, my man. Man, so many good uh, good takeaways from this one. Um, and you got me monologuing, so that's that's always good, man, from 
from the host. You know, I had somebody tell me the other day, it was like, you know, on your podcast is great, but you just ask all these questions. Like you don't share a whole lot. And I said, that's kind of the point. You know what I mean? Like I've been on podcasts where the host is talking more. I want to hear from the guest. You know what I mean? So he did get me sharing a little bit more. So hopefully that, that listener. I appreciate like that. that. I loved it. I love the dialogue and that's, I love when people break their mold, especially when they get to hang with me. I told you, like, I'm a weird dude. So like, yeah. I feel, I feel honored when somebody's like, I'm going to, I'm going to break the mold a little bit today. Let's hey, just go you know, on that journey. You spot it. You got it. Yeah. You know, what, uh, and wh where would you want people? And again, we'll put the links on there. Where would you want people to uh, find out more about you? Take the alignment audit. You can go to nakedsundaystudios.com backslash audit. That's the alignment audit right there. I'm pretty sure even if you just go to nakedsundaystudios.com, it takes you right there anyway. If anybody's wondering, I am not the tech guy of this whole operation. So I try to make it as simple as possible. Um, realistically, you can follow me on the social media things, Naked Sunday Studios, wherever you go. But um, you know, the, if somebody wants help, the best way to be free to find out if I can help you is just let's do the audit. See, let's get to know each other a little bit. Think of it like a first date. Much unlike my past, I'm not here to propose to you on the first date. Let's let's get to know each other for yeah. a little bit. Good, and uh, let's have some fun getting to know each other. And uh, nothing else, at least hope I can steer somebody towards the person that's best suited for them. Awesome. Lev, thanks so much, man, for, for joining us and, and taking the time. Appreciate you, brother, and thank you so much for just allowing me to share. Thanks for listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell. And subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.